Hello, and you are listening to Pastor Carl Gallops, and I'm so honored that you've joined with me today. It is consistently reported in various and extremely reliable sources that at least 10,000 Christians a year go to their death around the world simply because of their love for Jesus Christ, their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Please understand, people, we are living in times of great tribulation. Oh, I'm not speaking of that particular theological, eschatological understanding of the great tribulation, but no one can deny we are living in prophetic times. We're living in the end times. We are living in times of great tribulation. In Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, the word of God proclaims, And when he, that is Jesus, had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet, for a little season, until their fellow servants also, and their brethren, that should be killed as they were, should be fulfilled. And listen to these words from Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, the Apostle Paul writing to the pastor Timothy. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and what you have become convinced of. I want you to reflect for just a moment with me on an account coming out of the South Pyongyang province in North Korea in 1999. It was reported in many reliable sources that a unit of the North Korean army was in the process of widening a highway connecting Pyongyang to a nearby port city. While in the process of destroying a vacant home in the construction zone, soldiers found hidden in the basement of that home a Bible. And inside of that Bible was a list of 25 names. You see, the list identified a particular Christian pastor, of course, Christianity being illegal in North Korea, it identified two assistant pastors, two elders, and 20 church members. The 20 church members were also identified with their occupations and their places of employment listed beside their names. The 25 outed Christians were then summarily rounded up and held in custody without any type of formal judicial hearing. Later on that month in 1999, the parishioners and their pastors were then transported to the site of the road construction. Spectators had been arranged and seated to observe the coming attraction of the execution. According to eyewitness accounts, the five church leaders were bound and they were made to lie down in front of a road construction steamroller. They were then formally accused of the government for government subversion, and of being Christian spies. The 20 church members were then detained next to their pastors. The pastors were ordered to denounce their faith in Jesus Christ. If they would do so, they were told that they would be allowed to live. They were commanded to serve only Kim Jong-il and his father, the first dictator of communist Korea, Kim Il-sung. According to the eyewitnesses, the brave clergy, following the example of Jesus Christ himself, did not even respond to their captors. 
So for their refusal to deny Jesus Christ, the operator of the steamroller was given his orders. The pastors were placed face down in the road in front of that heavy machinery. And according to the report, and I'm quoting from that report for you, quote, some of the fellow parishioners assembled to watch the execution cried and they screamed out or they fainted when the skulls of their pastors were crushed before their eyes beneath the steamroller. That's real persecution, folks. And meanwhile, back in America, we go apoplectic when a Christian-owned flower shop refuses to sell flowers to a lesbian couple planning on having a wedding and the shop is leveled with a lawsuit, or a Christian-owned cake bakery, similar things happen. In America, we cry persecution. But listen, is the flower shop and the cake bakery debacle really an example of true Christian persecution? A large portion of the Christian population in America considers these fiascos to be a disturbing portent of worse things to come, to be sure. Christians certainly recognize that homosexuality, for example, is unbiblical, and it's a perversion of human sexuality and natural marriage as established by God. Of course, it's a phenomenon that Christians are going to have to take into account as the days draw closer to the coming of the Lord. Jesus said that the last days were going to be just like the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. Hear his words in Luke chapter 17. Jesus said, just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving them marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. We're also told in Scripture that Lot was grieved to the depths of his soul by the wickedness and the sexual perversion which the culture of his day was immersed. Yet, Lot lived right in the midst of it. He had to live in the world, but not of the world. In 2 Peter, we read of Lot's dilemma. The Bible says, If God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. So you see, in light of these biblical truths, we've got to examine our own hearts. Because you see, we now dwell and we attempt to do business in the culture of Sodom and Gomorrah that's sweeping the planet. We're living in the days of Noah. We must ask ourselves some difficult questions and, and take personal spiritual inventory. Now consider these arguments. Let's go back and talk about the flower shop for a moment. You see, the flower shop business is open to the public market, and it operates under very specific laws and regulations. The shop is licensed by the state. They advertise throughout the community. They entice the public to do business with them. When one offers a good or a service on the open marketplace, even while living in Sodom and Gomorrah, you got to expect to have to obey the business laws of the land, as biblically perverted as they might become. Christians have been subject to this ethical difficulty for well over 2,000 years. Some have even accused the flower shop owners of blatant hypocrisy. Think about this for a moment. Now, think honestly. This is not going to be a pleasant exercise, but think about it. The people who accuse the rest of us Christians as, as being hypocritical in these matters concerning the flower shop, for example, they argue that, well, certainly the, these same flower shop owners have sold flowers that will go to weddings where tons of alcohol will be consumed. 
Does the Bible have anything to say about that? Has the florist ever refused to do business with people who are getting married wherein alcohol will be served at the wedding? What about couples that have engaged in sex before marriage? The Bible calls that fornication. Or about people who have been divorced multiple times? The Bible calls that adultery. Would they be denied flowers by the shop? Does the Bible have anything to say about these issues? So you see, are Christians saying then that heterosexual sin is acceptable, but homosexual sin is not? You do understand the point I'm making. Could it be that what we call Christian persecution in America really is just something entirely different? We must also ask ourselves another tough question. Would we cry persecution, for example, if as Christians we were refused service in a convenience store that happened to be owned by Hindus, for example? Or if a motel owner uh, who happened to be Buddhist said, no, you're a Christian, I'm not going to let you stay in this motel. What if we said? Uh, what if he said, uh, "Sorry, we just we just don't have Christians here. It's against our faith." Suppose a doctor refused emergency surgery on one of your children because the physician was a Muslim and he didn't believe in rendering aid to the quote infidel, according to his religion. Would you not insist that these particular examples I just gave of public businesses and professionals? Would you not insist that they must be required to serve any and all who walk through their doors? These truly are legitimate questions to which we Christians in America, we must give solemn consideration, especially if Christians in America are going to be taken seriously on this topic of persecution. Considering what happens in North Korea and China, Iraq and Iran, 57 different nations of the world that are Muslim, Sudan, Nigeria, Africa, and even Christians in Israel who are persecuted by Orthodox Jews, particularly Orthodox Jews who surrender their life to Jesus Christ. I have several friends who are Christians who were born and raised in Israel, some of them born into Orthodox Judaism, who tell me that there are many born-again believers among the Orthodox Jews in Israel, but they are terrified to speak publicly in fear of persecution. It's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing to think about what we Christians in America call persecution and what really is persecution. We are very blessed, but we're going to lose it all if we don't start getting engaged, being the salt and the light to which Jesus has called us to be. I also have friends who work and live and minister among underground churches in various portions and parts of the world where Christian persecution is fairly rampant. Several of them have reported to me that as we in America call ourselves praying for persecuted Christians around the world, it might surprise us to know that there are Christians who are really persecuted, who are faced with death and imprisonment and sometimes enslavement simply because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Some of these Christians in various places around the world actually pray for America's Christians. Are you sitting down? They actually pray that we in America would undergo real persecution, so that our church might once again become alive, filled with the Holy Spirit, watching the power and the miraculous hand of God, and understanding what it means to stand up for our faith. Shamefully, in America, most of what we call persecution is just we're afraid for somebody to make fun of us. We're afraid to speak out lest we offend. Pastors are afraid to speak out lest they lose congregations or lest they lose a little bit of money coming in, or lest they lose some political clout that they might think that they have in a community. It really is shameful sometimes to consider 
what a number of American Christians and American churches and American pastors call persecution in America. As of now, we still do not have government-sanctioned persecution. We still have a Constitution and a First Amendment that guarantees us our freedom of worship and our freedom to take our message of salvation into the streets, literally, without persecution sanctioned by the government. We're blessed to have those freedoms. This is why millions of people around the world want to come to America and want to live here. We are one of the freest nations in the world, the freest from government-sanctioned and official legal persecution. We are blessed. But instead, we sit in our churches and we debate whether or not we will actually undergo real tribulation. That's a matter of eschatology, and I'm not going to get into that, but I can tell you this. Real tribulation is occurring all over the world right now. How do you define what's real and what's not, what's great and what's not, when it's your wife or children being murdered before your eyes, or worse? Yes, we must continue to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who are undergoing persecution, and we must continue to assist them and aid them, relieve them, and minister to them wherever we can and wherever possible. But we must also, we must also engage the culture around us here in America before we might actually lose the freedom that we have and that we take for granted. Let me leave you with this scripture. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. This has been a word for you from the Word of God by Pastor Carl Gallops.